iSiri was designed by Apple in California. And I never listened to I Doubt It with Dallin Moore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, welcome to the show. This 265th episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore, and sitting across from me, yeah, as always, Brittany Page. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's yeah. 2017. 2017. Yeah. Not 2017. No? No. Okay. 2017. Uh-huh. Although I'm I'm fond of the 20. You are. The 2017. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, when we were getting ready to flip over to 19, you know, from 1999 to 2000. When the world almost ended. Yeah, but you can't really say 2001. Yeah. I, I couldn't wait until it was like 2010 <laughs> yeah. where I could get into the whole 2010 business. You couldn't wait. Oh, yeah. I was very excited about it. <laughs> this is a, a strange thing to have a very particular preference for, I think. Well, I'm a strange guy. You really are. Yeah, I, I was obsessed. <laughs> I wasn't obsessed. <laughs> Taking a little far. Starting to feel a little better. We had a good, good New Year's. Very... Pleasant New Year's, not crazy. Mm-hmm. I did drink too much, mm-hmm. as is, you know, what happens sometimes. Sometimes. But then, but then we went to breakfast today. Yeah. And I almost choked to death in the goddamn restaurant. You did. You scared the waitress to death. I had to jump up and run out of the restaurant because it was going to be a, a spectacle. Yeah, and I told you. I recently read this article, and it talked about how... When people start choking, they get up and leave the area to avoid making a scene or yeah. looking like a person that, that's choking. That's what I did. And they die because of it, because they then leave a room full of people that could help them when they're choking. <laughs> right, right. And so you came back to the table and I said, hey, when you're choking, you should not like go where you're just by yourself <laughs> choking to death. You should well, remain with people that can possibly help. That's I'm sure that's sage advice. But my the problem was, is I knew I could feel it stuck. I had biscuits and gravy. <laughs> and these weren't like your soft Kentucky fried chicken biscuits. These were like a hard, crusty topped biscuit. Uh-huh. And it got lodged in my goddamn throat. Maybe I went at it a little voraciously. Yeah, not chewing. A little too big a bite, and it got lodged in there. So I knew where it was. I just knew it had to be... It wasn't going to be a delicate process to get it out of there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be standing in the middle of this already very tightly packed restaurant. Yes. And trying to expel (laughs) the, the foreign object that was lodged in my throat well haven't you been told that digestion begins in the mouth yeah with the chewing the mastication you got to chew up your foods yeah thanks for that in order to properly because because it was a choice (laughs) it was a a conscious choice to swallow a fist-sized biscuit down my goddamn gullet wow a fist size (laughs) that's not an exaggeration at all well then the other thing we had this conversation today and i want to ask the audience about this Mm mm-hmm 
Brittany and I are, I think, conscientious about helping out, whether even hotel <laughs> rooms, restaurants. At the end of our meal, mm-hmm. we stack, not like a leaning tower of shit dishes. Yeah. But we, we like all the silverware, one plate is completely emptied. Uh-huh. The other plate is stacked on top of that. Then we put the silverware, whatever. And you were saying you heard from someone that that's considered rude to do. Yeah, I don't know if it's a false memory, but I have some sort of thing <laughs> that, in my just head. Just for the audience's sake, that's the way many sentences that come out of Brittany's <laughs> mouth begin, which is, I don't know if this is a false memory, but yada yada. Well, you never know. The brain's crazy. So <laughs> I think I remember reading somewhere that it said it's rude to, it's not just about stacking the plates. It's also putting like the napkins on there and the hmm. trash on the plate. Like it's the configuration of the stacking with all the various items that mm. makes it rude. But I don't I don't agree because I think I would really appreciate that if I was working as a server to have someone just stack everything up and then you just right. take it off the table. Yeah. It makes your job easy. You're not having to stand over the table and pick up all the plates and yeah. act like you care about their day well, and make I, casual conversation. I, I think I would notice if someone was bothered, like, ugh, these fuckers with the dish stacking... I think I would tune into that from a, a server. You don't <laughs> yeah. think so? No, I, I think you would. Um, but I'm always on high alert that I'm being a dick. High alert. Yeah, red alert. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that this comes from working in that industry. I never uh, have, though. So then I don't get it because there's certain pet peeves that I have, like people touching their hands on the glass doors rather than the handle. Because when I was a teenager, I had to clean doors endlessly, clean fingerprints off windows. And those things, when you've worked in those yeah, yeah. situations, then you're very sensitive to the assholery that can happen right. from the general public. So let, I want to put a call out to the audience. If you've worked in the service industry, uh, restaurants, if you've been a waitress or a waiter or whatever your preferred nomenclature is, server, server I don't like because it sounds like servant. Yeah, I was worried about saying that, that that was going to make people unhappy. Anyway, if, you, if you've been there, let us know about this. Is this, a, is this a, a not a good thing? Is this a good thing? We do want to hear from you. We also want to correct our behavior if we're being dicks. Yeah. Well, you know, I know people who like make the bed when they leave a hotel room. Oh, that's, that's crazy. That you're just causing extra work for the lady. Yeah. Well, unless they or don't for wash the, for the, the sheets. Gentleman. It could be a gentleman cleaning the room. How dare you? I've never, ever seen that. I have. I've never seen a male housekeeper in a hotel room. But I do. I want to say those sheets need to be washed. So just go ahead and take them off and throw them on the floor to make the person wash them. You don't want any risk of, <laughs> oh, oh look at this. Yeah, <laughs> this is clean already. Our job is done Who here. Who knows what kind of filth is under that bedspread yeah, I don't sheets. Stop. Yikes. It makes me very upset. All right. Uh, we're done that with that. Let's, <laughs> let's move on before this really goes off the rails. <laughs> 2017, we are happy. We are at it again. Two episodes a week. We're going to be at it in this dedicated space that is still echoey, but that is okay. We do have some voicemails to get to. Uh, let's start there. Hey, guys. This is Chris from Tennessee. I was calling in response to episode 264, and I feel that's time for me to come clean and go public and admit that, yes, I do, in fact, Google myself. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm at home alone, Kids are at school, wife's at work. 
I may get on the computer and Google myself. Now, of course, I don't feel comfortable sharing the results of what I found, but I do think that everyone should take the stigma off of this issue and freely be able to admit that they Google themselves on a regular basis. I'm glad you guys brought attention to this matter. It's something I think may have plagued us all, but you guys are doing great work, and Brittany is the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. I think he was going for a little different. Uh, <laughs> Googling may mean something different to to Chris. Ah, <laughs> I see. He, he actually did have another voicemail with a, an actual serious query for you. Nice. Brittany Page. Hello. I have a question for Brittany. Brittany, I was going to ask you if you could define and talk about for a little bit the difference between atheist and agnostic. Me and my wife was discussing this, and I've seen many places where people have said that they are both the same thing. And some people say that, no, they're two different things. Now, I've read the definition of agnostic and, of course, atheist, but I was going to see if you could comment on what your views are and what the differences is. I mainly ask you, because you're the best part, but also because in your thesis that you sent the survey out for, it specifically asked why uh, I chose one over the other. I was going to see if you could just maybe clarify or if you really want to get into this. Thank you very much. So I was a little freaked out when I first heard this because <laughs> I'm writing an article right now with my thesis advisor that is separate from my thesis about this exact question. What yeah, is yeah. the difference between an atheist and an agnostic? And it was I, a little weird. Like, like, is this a little stalkery? How, how is this specific question being asked right now? Yeah. When you're actually pondering this very thing. Yeah. And what a great memory, Chris, you really internalized my survey. <laughs> But I, there was a question in there about if you selected atheist, why did you choose atheist over agnostic and how do you differentiate between the two terms? So everyone that selected atheist in my survey had the opportunity to answer this question. And I received over 200 responses to that question alone. And I've received a lot of very interesting responses. It's not a simple question. No, not at all. Because people really differ in how they perceive the two terms. So I'm writing an article about this and it is separate from my thesis and it should be done in about two to three months if everything goes well. But it's looking like it's a difficult question to answer, specifically because some atheists are very certain in their beliefs. They say that they are certain there's no God. No amount of evidence will change their mind. Which is, is uh, let me be the asshole. That is fucking ridiculous to be certain of something that cannot be proven or disproven. Yeah, so some non-ambivalent responses came through in that in that data set. And then there's people who say, listen, I, I don't believe in God, but I am open to evidence. And if I'm ever presented with evidence that changes my mind, I'm, I'm willing to read about that. I'm willing to look into it. So there's there's some willingness to change. But generally, I think that people think of atheism as a simple 
lack of belief in God. And there's a lot of negative connotation that goes along with that, right? We've talked about the stigma against atheists and people believing that they are immoral, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So sometimes people take the label atheist a little bit further than a simple lack of belief in, belief in God. I and, think a lot of that could be, and I, I don't want to sidetrack this, but a lot of that could be because... Well, one, I think believers are sensitive that if you don't believe what they believe, you're attacking their beliefs Mm -hmm. simply by not taking part. Right. But the other thing is there's a lot of asshole atheists out there. What kind of that dogmatic approach? Yeah, like, look, we, we, I see billboards that talk about the, the rape and incest monuments and just come on. That, that just, you're not going to be winning hearts and minds. You're you're, you're not. not going to be changing the hearts of people. Even if they're on the fence, they're going to be recalcitrant. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's in bad form. Yeah. I think the best way is through through kindness and love and reason and logic, not through being a prick. So, <laughs> And then I think people typically think of agnostic as on the fence. Don't want to choose a side. Just don't know. Don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's a really personal thing I'm finding because these responses that I receive to the question, it's pretty variable. Well... If I could weigh in here, uh-huh. I I consider myself an atheist, but I I guess I would be a classic agnostic because I don't know. There's no way to know. But the way I look at it is, given the evidence that we have right now, given the evidence that I've been able to to uh, make a determination on, I don't believe there's a God given the evidence we have. So I consider myself an atheist. That doesn't mean I'm angry or well, we've talked about this on the show. I went through my bitter, pissed off, angry Facebook guy period several years ago. I'm not there anymore at all. But so I I think I could be technically classified as an agnostic, but I don't go through life with that label. Right. Yeah. So I don't think I answered your question, Chris. Maybe I did, but I'm going to... Maybe in three months when the article gets published, we'll keep that under wraps. I will have a research-based answer to your question very soon because we are currently categorizing the subjects based on their responses and working our way through that. So, All right. Thank you very much for the call. Next up. Hey guys, Jeremy from Kansas. Uh, somebody called in the other day and asked about uh, why Trump is going on the victory tour. And I, while I do agree with you, in one aspect, it is stroking his ego. He wants to go back out and see the people who love him as opposed to the people in New York surrounding him uh, when he walks the streets and uh, hate him, booing at him. But I think it might be something a little more sinister as well. Uh, he's continuing the cult of Donald Trump. Uh, whether it's intentionally or not, I'm not sure. I, I personally think it's intentional, either by him or his handlers, to keep him out there, continue showing these rallies of thousands of people showing up in that love of him. You see it in uh, you see it in China whenever the leaders go out and they've got these massive rallies and people cheering for them. You see it in North Korea. You see it in a lot of these communist countries where the absolute leader goes out and everybody is kind of hailing them. Yay, you know, go Trump. So they're trying to continue that cult of Trump is is the way I always interpret this. Uh, I think we'll see it continuing on even after the inauguration. We'll probably see more stuff like this where he's going out and everybody's cheering him, um, basically saying that he can't do anything wrong. So whenever something does go on, you know, whenever decisions are made, yeah, we don't vote for each individual decision he makes. Uh, but it makes it appear that 
Everyone is enjoying him. Everybody is on board with the decisions that he is making. So that's that's the way I interpret all this, uh, all these this victory tour and likely uh, the future tours and rallies that he's going to be doing. It's continuing the cult of Trump. Keep up the good work, guys. Love the show. I would say this. I agree with that. Um, I think that it's when 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 you get elected president and you don't have a mandate when you when you didn't have an overwhelming win in fact when it was the opposite where you lost by like 2.9 million votes when your opponent who lost the election got almost 3 million more votes than you you want to paint a picture and have the media follow you around showing throngs of adoring americans who are in agreement with you that paints a picture, and it's a it's a tool, it's a propaganda tool. And if if Donald Trump is is a winner at anything, we know it's that he understands how to use propaganda and how to manipulate using the media uh, for its best effect, where it relates to his own his own desires, his machinations, and that would certainly do that. Continuing that cult of Trump, I agree, for sure. All right. Do we have any emails or is that it? I believe that is all. All right. Let's move on. Should we do Trump tweets before we get to Dollamocracy? Oh, no. We have follow-up. We have follow-up. We have follow-up. Dylan Roof follow-up. We've covered in the past pretty extensively the, the, the horrific crime of Dylan Roof murdering many people in a church in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, he's going on trial right now, and he has he's going to represent himself because he is just that much of a stupid hillbilly. However, he has a defense team that are kind of in waiting in the wings and filing certain paperwork to try to get him not the death penalty. At this point, they are not defending him for a win. They know he's going to be convicted. It's almost just a given he's going to be convicted, but they're trying to prevent him from being sentenced to death. And he is seemingly fighting against that at every step of the way. Dylan Roof's public defender is once again vehemently trying to argue that this 22-year-old now convicted mass murderer is mentally in no way capable of defending himself at this critical part of his trial, and that is, of course, the death penalty phase. It's clear that Roof has been fighting against his defense team throughout this whole trial, and the main rub appears to be the aspect of his psychology, where he is in his mental state of mind. And you wonder where that might come from. Well, I'm going to read you a section that comes from his handwritten journal that was found in his car when he was captured. I apologize if it offends anyone, but it's important to understand his state of mind on this matter. He says, quote, also, I want state. This is how he wrote it. I want state that I am morally opposed to psychology. It's a Jewish invention and does nothing but invent disease and tell people they have problems when they don't, unquote. So Dylan Roof doesn't believe in any way psychology. And this would be considered by his defense team as a mitigating factor. In other words, a reason why you wouldn't put him to death. Not necessarily why you wouldn't convict him. But, of course, Dylan Roof has said he's his own attorney in this phase, and he is not going to bring that up. So mental competency is a question being debated in a courtroom once again today. 
No answer as yet. So, of course, the argument that he is not not fit, right, not not psychologically capable, doesn't have the psychological capacity to represent himself, is his best chance at avoiding being put to death. That's right. However, he wrote this. They have the handwritten journal, and he is saying, he also wrote a message to the judge, quote, I will not be calling mental health experts or presenting mental health evidence. So he's basically essing on his best opportunity. <laughs> to avoid being yeah. executed. Well, here here's the thing is this these are defense attorneys. They're going to use every single trick in the book, every single legal maneuver that they're able to do to get him to avoid the death penalty. That is what they do. It's gamesmanship at this level. It's not that he really is mentally unfit or incapable, incapable of 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 standing trial. He's certainly incapable of defending himself. He doesn't have the 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 cognitive acuity or ability he to could, understand the, the the circus that is the law. He couldn't even properly articulate that section that uh, Martin Savage read. Yeah, it's a Jewish invention, Brittany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Psychology is a Jewish invention. Uh, anyway, so that's what's happening now. I... I I don't have any prediction here other than the fact that he's going to be convicted. I am personally opposed to the death penalty because I don't believe the government should be in the business of saying who dies and who lives. That's a slippery, slippery slope, especially with a Donald Trump as leader of our government. I don't think we definitely don't want uh, the government saying who lives and dies. So we'll follow this a little closer and let you know, but uh, it is very bizarre. Of course, it's worth noting that before the trial began in November, he received a psychiatric examination and it was found that he's competent to stand trial. Yes. And, and what that means is that he understands the process, he understands the proceedings and how the court case was going to go. We Another person we've talked about on the show is a guy named Milo Yiannopoulos, who is a right wing, alt right He's, I think, the the tech editor at Breitbart.com. And he is a British gentleman, a gay, conservative, uh, rabble-rouser. He's an abuser. He is a harasser of people online. He was banned from Twitter after kind of sicking his throng throngs of maniacs on that Saturday Night Live actress. What's her name? Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones calling her a monkey and an ape and just hateful, racist shit. He's he's a maniac. He's just a troll. Yeah, absolutely a troll. Well, he, we, I think we talked about this scholarship, that he proposed that they start this scholarship for white men mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to get them their postgraduate degrees. Well, apparently he raised a bunch of money, and shockingly, none of that money has been actually donated to charity. Earlier this year, Breitbart News editor Milo Yiannopoulos promised to give out over $100,000 worth of college scholarships from a controversial charity. But according to the Daily Beast, not one person has seen a single penny of that money. And the outlet says that's because he still has all of it. Back in January, Yiannopoulos announced he was creating the Yiannopoulos Privilege Grant, a college scholarship fund for white men in support of their post-secondary education. But nearly seven months later, allegations have surfaced that he 
might not have done anything charitable with the funds, which are reportedly somewhere between $100,000 and $250,000. Yiannopoulos told the Daily Beast his lawyers are currently drafting the paperwork to establish it as a legal charity and said that's why he hasn't handed out any scholarships yet. But the outlet says the grant has yet to file any paperwork to obtain that status. And when asked if his attorneys had applied for tax-exempt status from the IRS, Yiannopoulos said, I'll check. The accusations against Yiannopoulos started earlier this week, when one of the charity's proprietors claimed he was transferring money intended for the grant into a personal account. Margaret McLennan posted a copy of the alleged transfer on Twitter, along with the caption, We all know I clearly profited from donations to the grant. And this isn't the only controversy Yiannopoulos has been in lately. He was permanently suspended from Twitter last month after he encouraged his followers to harass Ghostbusters star Leslie Jones with racist and demeaning tweets. For Newsy, I'm Katie Lank. So everyone is always um, talking about how the media needs to get their act together and blah, blah, blah. This is what I love about reporting, right? Finding that Milo is doing the wrong thing yeah. with this quote unquote privilege grant, right? Money for this privilege grant for white men. Not putting it where he needs to. Right. Not using it in the way that he's marketing it. Right. Also, you wouldn't have done the due diligence if you're going to start a charity. You don't do it right away. You A year goes by. It takes a year to set up. Come on. D- Donald Trump set up his phony bullshit charity. It, it doesn't take years to do. It's filing some paperwork. You have a, a team of lawyers. They're using the phrase lawyers. It doesn't take a year to do so. It's it's very hanky, very suspicious that he's trying to, it appears, profit himself under the auspices of, of this wacky charity in the first place. Right. And the fund has raised somewhere between one hundred dollars to $250,000 and no scholarships have been awarded. And in fact, the website, there's not even a way to apply for them. Right. There's not even a way to apply. Yeah. So just going and funneling into his bank account, apparently. Ugh, disgusting human being. All right. Well, speaking of disgusting human beings. I will say this. Look, I have millions of people on Twitter. It's a lot of people. If somebody can't handle a Twitter account, they can't handle the nuclear company. So it's the new year and it's typically a really positive, (laughs) uplifting time. You wish happy new year. You wish blessings. You wish all the good things upon everybody. Sure. Especially leaders. Yeah. And Donald Trump, he, he did the same. You know, he took to his Twitter account and he said, happy new year to all, including to my many enemies. And those who have fought me and lost so badly that they just don't know what to do. Love. His enemies? Yeah. Many, many What enemies. is he, a, a Batman or Superman? <laughs> he's a he's an arc villain? He's a he's a superhero? Yeah. Who has enemies? Apparently he has many. You, I could see him having opponents, mm-hmm. the opposition, but that doesn't mean they're enemies. Well. He really does put himself on a, on a whole different plateau than normal human beings. Yeah. I also, this is playing right into the thing that he didn't want to do or so i thought right. which was this whole unity message that he started right, right. he wants to he, he wants to uh, 
repair the divisions. Right. He wants to bring people together after this contentious election. And then here you have this tweet that has 341,000 favorites, 141,000 retweets about enemies. Yeah. So he's he's furthering that divide. He's <laughs> This is going to be a good segment. So let's let's also read this one. Russians are playing CNN and NBC News for such fools. Funny to watch. They don't have a clue. Fox News totally gets it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. They totally get it. There was another one, though, where he praised Vladimir Putin, V. Putin, and said, what a smart guy. Yeah, he said, great move on delay, parenthetically, by V. Putin. I always knew he was very smart. And of course, he's talking about the delayed reaction from Vladimir Putin in response to the United States sanctions. He's saying, well, I'm not going to retaliate because I'm just going to wait for the Trump administration to take over and we'll see what their position toward us is going to be. Yeah, He's just going to wait until he can call the shots from the Kremlin Uh to tell Donald Trump what course of action he should actually take. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Puppet. Putin puppet. Praising V. Putin, apparently. Uh, they're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> what up, V? The last time we talked about it, someone with the first letter or name of V on the show, it was V. Stiviano, if you remember. Oh, yes. The weird lady who Donald was causing Sterling. all the problems for Donald Sterling yeah. and the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah. So he's in good company. <laughs> uh. All right. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode, as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdolomore. Tamisha. Tamisha. Yes, our latest Patreon supporter. Thank you so much. You are awesome. And we appreciate all of our Patreon and PayPal supporters. And those of you who are going to dollamore.com slash shop and purchasing your shiny new mug or shiny new sticker pack. They are glossy and shiny. They are beautiful. Yeah. They are very beautiful. I would say this. If you're going to buy a mug, you better get on it because we bought very few and they are... They're almost gone. Yes. We're going to have to turn around and buy a whole bunch more because these things are, <laughs> they are, it, it's way more popular than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And we want to see pictures. So when you get your mug, make sure that you take a picture with it and post it to the Facebook page, send it to us on Twitter. We want to see you with your mugs, please. I'm going through and emailing each individual purchaser with their tracking number. So you'll you have an idea when they're going to get there yeah but definitely take a picture we'd love to see them all right democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism the inauguration is afoot january 20th is the the date that donald trump will officially assume the office of president of these united states and he, as we've been reporting on, has been, they're having a hard time getting A-list, well, it's an impossible time getting A-list celebrity talent to perform 
at the the festivities. No one wants the gig. The Rockettes were in. Now they're out. Uh, they finally got the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And even that is causing problems. Marching bands from around the country are going to Washington for Donald Trump's inaugural festivities. Forty organizations will be in the parade, 8,000 participants. But tonight, a new controversy surrounding those performers. Jan Chamberlain, a four-year member of Utah's Mormon Tabernacle Choir, a state Trump won handily, has written a lengthy public Facebook posting that she is quitting the choir because it agreed to sing for the president-elect. It is with a sad and heavy heart that I submit my resignation to you and to choir. I simply cannot continue with the recent turn of events. I could never look at myself in the mirror again with self-respect. I also know, looking from the outside in, it will appear that choir is endorsing tyranny and fascism by singing for this man. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir says the performance is voluntary, and the choir's participation continues its long tradition of performing for U.S. presidents of both parties at inaugurations and in other settings. Late Friday, Chamberlain responded to criticism. And I value that in our country we have the freedom of speech under the First Amendment. For me, this is not a political issue. For me, this is a moral issue where I'm concerned about our freedoms being um, in danger. Let Christmas shine. This coming just days after it was announced the legendary New York City Rockettes would be performing at the inauguration. In an interview with MarieClaire.com, one Rockette spoke out about the decision. The majority of us said no immediately. Then there's the percentage that said yes, for whatever reason. The Dancers Union ultimately deciding that participation in the inauguration will be voluntary. Madison Square Garden, which employs the dancers, adding, we had more Rockettes request to participate than we have slots available. So, it is, it is on all fronts. There's all kinds of people of different political persuasions. That lady's clearly a conservative. Mm-hmm. And... She wants out. Yeah. She also wrote, I only know I could never throw roses to Hitler, and I certainly could never sing for him. I think it's a very apt comparison. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump is not responsible for genocide, but the same totalitarian fascism, the same you know, use of propaganda at the highest level, there's a lot of comparisons that are appropriate to be made between Adolf Hitler in his rise and Donald Trump. And that lady seems to be thinking clearly about it. Right. There's also a petition that has been started by another famous Mormon. And this petition says that the choir's participation, quote, does not reflect the values of Mormonism and does not represent its diverse 15 plus million members worldwide. And it has over 19,000 signatures. Yeah. Well, the other thing that was said in that clip is that the the statement from the Mormon, the Tabernacle Choir, the Mormon Choir, that said that they have performed for presidents of both parties. This isn't a party thing. This is the fact that Donald Trump is a wildly different candidate than ever before in American history. It's not a Republican thing. It's not that they shouldn't perform for Republican or Democrat. It's Donald Trump. It's not a party thing. So I think that that was that kind of a general statement just kind of missed the mark quite a bit. So anyway, we've been talking a lot about this Russian thing, the hacking. It's probably going to continue for months, even after he actually assumes office. 
Well, Donald Trump on New Year's Eve was was in, in a couple of different moments. Once he was out on the on the stoop with, with with Don King, the boxing promoter. Yeah, what's going on there? I have no idea. And in another time, he was just out there generally kind of yucking it up with reporters. And he was asked a very pointed question. And his response is just, I don't know if it's unbelievably arrogant or just, He's a goddamn moron. But it seems like you have a tendency, just looking at it from the outside, to doubt American intelligence when it comes to Russian hacking. I'm trying to just better understand why it's Well, I just want them to be sure, because it's a pretty serious charge, and I want them to be sure. And if you look at the weapons of mass destruction, that was a disaster, and they were wrong. And so I want them to be sure. I think it's unfair if they don't know. And I know a lot about hacking, and hacking is a very hard thing to prove somebody else and I also know things that other people don't know and so they cannot be sure of the situation you'll find out on Tuesday or Wednesday so we're gonna find out on Tuesday or Wednesday I but, swear to God. But he knows a lot about hacking Brittany page this is a man who doesn't even use email he is not a technologically savvy individual but he knows a lot about hacking. Why is he throwing a teaser to the reporters? Like he, like this is a reality right. show. Right. He thinks he's fucking Ryan Seacrest. Oh, well. And the winner. Coming up on Tuesday. Yeah. It's <laughs> No. What do you mean? What What are you saying? What is you the information you know something, that you, you need have? to let us know. Yeah. Why aren't you telling the American public right. what they need to know? You are claiming that you have information that will change people's minds. Well, let's hear it. Well, there that later that night... There was another case where he he was asked a specific question. In this case, the question was, what do you think generally about sanctions against Russia? That's the question. What do you think generally about sanctions against Russia? And his answer is maddening. What do you think generally about sanctions against Russia? I think we ought to get on with our lives. I think that computers have complicated lives very greatly. The whole you know, age of computer has made it where nobody knows exactly what's going on. We have speed. We have a lot of other things, but I'm not sure you have the kind of security that you need. <laughs> Wait, what? That, yeah. He, that wasn't about sanctions. Right. He didn't answer the question, but also he said something that is the complete opposite, right? <laughs> Haven't computers made life easier? Yes. They have, they've complicated our lives because we have instant access to facts <laughs> And reams of data, voluminous amounts of information. Right. He says the whole age of, of the computer has made it where no one knows exactly what's going on. Hasn't the age of the computer made it so people know exactly what's yes, going on? Yes. Or know more about what's going on? Uh, one more time, because it's just so goddamn good. What do you think generally about sanctions against Russia? I think we ought to get on with our lives. I think that computers have complicated lives very greatly. Uh, the whole... You know, age of computer has made it where nobody knows exactly what's going on. We have speed. We have a lot of other things, but I'm not sure you have the kind of security that you need. He's a moron. He's well, not a smart man. Well, this is just embarrassing, right? Because this is another example of a situation where everyone should stop what they're doing and say, excuse me, 
I don't understand what you just responded to, but it wasn't my question. So I'm going to ask the question again. And I'm hoping that in your response, you're going to directly address right. sanctions right. because that's what I'm asking you about. And I'm not sure what that word salad was, but if we could get an answer to the question, <laughs> that would be great. Right. Right. Well, it's no surprise that he's been 158 or 159. That we're, we're approaching 160 days with no press conference. Mm-hmm. And that was not a press conference. That is not a press conference. <laughs> Fielding a couple questions before you step back in through the threshold of your your palatial resort. With Don King. With Don King wagging wagging his weirdo flags. (laughs) That's not a press conference. Yeah. Well, the other thing that this does, though, is this sets the bar very low for the incoming press secretary for the president of the United States, Sean Spicer, who really embarrassed himself on Jake Tapper when Jake was peppering him with questions about this entire hacking thing, it, it's it really was a a sight to behold. So, what is why is the president-elect so quick to dismiss concerns about Russian hacking? Seventeen U.S. intelligence agencies agree that this happened. They disagree as to what the motive likely was, but they all agree it happened. Is the president-elect still not convinced that that Russia was behind the attacks? Well, Jake, there's two aspects of this. One is the political nature of this. And I think that there's been an effort by some on the left in particular to undermine the legitimacy of his enormous win on Election Day. And I think that we've got to separate that out. He won. He won big. Uh, He carried 304 electoral votes. He won in states that no one thought he could had a chance of carrying it. And I think the folks on the left prior to the election questioned his commitment to accepting the results. And it seems ever since Election Day, they've gone out of their way to question the legitimacy of the election. I think that's that's the political aspect of this. The intelligence aspect of this is the following. The intelligence community, if we're going to make such broad sweeping claims about the involvement of, of anybody in the legitimacy of an election and the integrity of our election systems, uh, then I think we need to have the intelligence community come forward publicly and on the record and make it clear exactly how this happened um, and and who was responsible for it. But right now we continue to get unsourced media accounts for for what the activity is. And I think that's not not acceptable. If, If truly there is someone to blame, then I think that we should have Congress notified, go through the appropriate congressional hearings, but get the intelligence committee, as they did in October, come out very publicly with the findings that they have. Well, Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham, two Republicans, say that there is almost unanimous consensus among their Senate colleagues that Russia was behind the hacking. They plan to put together sanctions against Vladimir Putin. Um, Will President Trump veto a measure put forward by the U.S. Senate calling for sanctions because of this hacking? Well, it's not a question of veto, and I'm not going to presuppose what the president-elect may or may not do once he once he takes office. But I think it's incumbent. I mean, look, not to, to dredge up old things, but we've had issues in the past. We had the secretary of state at that time, Hillary Clinton, come out and talk about a Benghazi video that was the cause of all the eruption in Benghazi. And that proved not to be false. We need to get to the bottom of what the intelligence is. And I think the I'm going to stop it there. It's, it's a long clip anyway. Hillary Clinton. And the, the entire Benghazi video of that whack job and his, his anti-Muslim video isn't the intelligence community. That was, a, that was a spokesman for the State Department who said that. That has nothing to do with the intelligence gathering and intelligence reporting services in the United States. But it is He's the, conflating two different things. Right, but it's the perfect line to deliver to really 
speak to the people that he's he's right. wanting to speak to right. and, Again, and stir up a controversy that's right stir up that irrationality oh yeah hillary clinton benghazi right the buzzwords yeah Ugh. intelligence community has in the past gone out and laid out the case for what's going on uh, and who's behind certain activities it's an incumbent upon him for something as serious as this to do the same you're demanding that it be public because, I mean, obviously sources and methods for intelligence are, are one of the reasons why the intelligence community I, I keeps get it. so I, many correct. things. Under, understood, Jake. Correct. But they've done nothing. In, in October, they had no problem coming out and issuing a statement about what their what their beliefs were vis-a-vis Russia. Right now, if they believe so strongly that they're that they want the United States to act, I think to some degree, without necessarily receiving all the sources and methods, that there is a degree of public on-the-record statement that the intelligence community should make. I guess I don't understand why it needs to be public. President-elect Trump gets these intelligence briefings. Presumably, he's being told why the intelligence community feels the way it does. But, but I guess the question I would have for you, Jake, is why do we take all these unnamed media sources and say that we must react in a certain way when the Intelligence Committee has in the past come out very publicly and made it clear what their conclusions are? Why in this case, when it's Donald Trump who's the person that should act, should the presumption be on him to conclude something that the Intelligence Community isn't willing to come out publicly and say? I think the burden of proof right now is on them to come out and state publicly. Right. So it's just better for us to believe a random thought that Donald Trump has in his head versus the CIA. Right. And and 16 other intelligence organizations, 16 others, 99 out of 100 U.S. senators are on the side of the intelligence community. It's I, only Donald Trump and his camp that don't agree. Right. And I don't believe that Sean Spicer is just trying to be cautious or skeptical for the right reasons right this is just political totally political and so that's very frustrating and this listen is- it's not political for anyone else involved it's not political for the republicans even in in congress it's only political for donald trump and his team right and john mccain and lindsey graham we talked about them last time they are very appreciative of the sanctions that President Obama rolled out. Yeah, Lindsey Graham wants them even to be harsher. Right. They want tougher restrictions. Yes. So they issued a statement. It says, quote, the retaliatory measures announced by the Obama administration today are long overdue, but ultimately they are a small price for Russia to pay for its brazen attack on American democracy. We intend to lead the effort in the new Congress to impose stronger sanctions on Russia. Ugh. This is a very dangerous time that we are sidling up to an enemy of the United States, an adversary in all things foreign relations, someone who, who, who is bolstered by and supports Bashar al-Assad in Syria, a man who uses chemical weapons against women and children in wartime, his own citizenry, someone who is considered a very good friend and ally of Kim Jong-un in in North Korea. Someone who is praised by Rouhani, Hassan Rouhani in Iran. And we know about Iran, which 11 Middle Eastern and North African countries call Iran a state sponsor of terror. It's not just George W. Bush, including them in the axis of evil. 
It's his neighbors. Iran's neighbors consider them a state sponsor of terrorism who jails journalists. This is not ground we want to cover here. This is not where we want to be as a country, having a president who is, who is going to be pals and doing business like Russia, who, a guy who murders journalists. I mean, we're not going to go through the entire thing again, but this is very dangerous territory. And the propaganda machine of Donald Trump is not being countered by the press the way it should be. Jake, you know, Jake Tapper does a good job, but the media as a whole needs to get together and call Donald Trump and his team out on their bullshit. But what we're seeing is Donald Trump praising Fox News, rushing to Fox News, excoriating any other media outlet, CNN and NBC News in tweets he's shitting on them mm -hmm. while heaping praises upon Fox News. And Fox News, for anybody who's paid attention at all, is wrong about a lot of shit. No. They report patently false things. What? If it fits their narrative. Recently, this last week, there was a story, a bullshit story from Breitbart.com. Remember, the platform for the alt-right. The platform for white supremacy in this country. A story about food stamp fraud. And Abby Huntsman from Fox and Friends reported on it. Well, food stamp fraud is at an all-time high, and some of the worst offenders this year have included a state lawmaker and a millionaire. This year, it is estimated $70 million of taxpayer money was wasted on food stamp fraud. So is it time to end the program altogether? Here to debate, 2008 Clinton campaign advisor and Fox News contributor Jamu Green. Right. So then they went in for this seven to eight minute report mm -hmm. with this a two person panel, not really a panel, but two people discussing one opposed saying that it's, you know, the, the whatever about the fraud. And then the other person who was was pro Fox News position. It was also a written article published on the Fox News website. Right. Of course. Yeah. And well, about a week later, this had to happen. We're back with this and an update to a story that we brought you earlier this week regarding fraud in the food stamp program. We reported that back in 2016, $70 million were wasted on food stamp fraud. That was actually incorrect. The latest information from 2009 to 2011 shows the fraud at 1.3%, which is approximately $853 million for each of those three years. Nationally, food stamp trafficking is on the decline. So sorry about that mistake. Over to you, Pete. We forgive you. So here's, I have many, many problems with this. One, it's an eight minute segment mm -hmm. followed up by a 30 second. I had to click it again to see the time. Mm -hmm. A 31 second apology. Where she doesn't explain anything she's saying. Right. And then the other thing about it is, because even when she was apologizing, I was thinking about the numbers. And $853 million for the three-year period she's talking about, or for each of those three years, about $853 million, that sounded about more normal. When the previous report was $70 million, which is, as far as the government budget is concerned, is like not even measurable. It's, not, it's nothing. 
Yeah. So she, rather than actually do apology and say, look, the numbers that we got, that we reported were total bullshit. They didn't come from the USDA like we said they did. We lied. And so her apology ends up saying, well, the fraud was way worse than we originally reported. We're sorry we were wrong. That's not what she says. I mean, she she paints it in a completely different light. Well, and I want to get into this a little bit because the only reason that this apology was issued is because the Agriculture Department asked Fox News to correct this report. So who knows if this would have even been corrected. Right. If they hadn't said, hey, wait a minute, this segment that you aired is wrong, right? They issued a statement and it says, quote, we are not quite sure where this came from. We saw that there was a story on Breitbart. We have not issued a report on this recently. There is no new rate that we've published. So we're not quite sure why they're so interested in stirring this up. <laughs> right? Well, I think we all know why. It's Fox News. And of course, the, the program that they're talking about is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. Yeah which assists millions of eligible low-income individuals and families and provides economic benefits to communities. Of course, this is a problematic topic at Fox News often. They're often attacking food stamps. This uh, is quoted in this Washington Post article, Andrea Tontanaros, who yeah. no longer works at Fox News. Right. She was one of the women who came out and said that Roger Ailes sexually harassed her as well. She's quoted in this article bitching about how you can use the ebt cards at the organic market in new york city how dare you be able to buy healthy organic food right. for your babies yeah your children they should be eating banquet frozen meals that's all yeah it, listen th that's on the same program that ainsley Earhart, and i believe she now hosts fox news said this. What about country. the majority? Okay, I'm the so majority. tired of protecting the minority. I'm so tired, she says contemptuously, of protecting the minority. She spends so much time doing it, it's no wonder she's tired of doing it. <laughs> Listen, Fox News doesn't have a problem with with corporate bailouts and subsidies and, and all kinds of welfare for, for massive corporations. For General Electric, General Electric not paying a dime in taxes just a few years ago. A multi, multi-billion dollar company. They don't got a problem with that. But children being able to eat healthy, because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about food stamps. If a kid is poor, it's because his parents are poor. And if you don't allow his parents to be on food stamps, where is that child going to get food? This isn't just a poor adult, lazy moocher situation that we're talking about here. These are innocent children who get caught in the crossfire of this politically charged issue. Right. And the USDA insists that its most recent analysis is several years old. From 2009 to 2011, the USDA report claims that the rate of trafficking of SNAP benefits jumped from 1% to 1.3%, though that rate is down from almost 4% in the 1990s. And trafficking refers to transactions in which SNAP beneficiaries sell their benefits to retailers for cash, commonly at discounted rates. It is one form of food stamp related 
fraud. Right. And then to what you were saying, take that 1.3% trafficking rate from 2009 to 2011 and apply it to the 2016 SNAP budget of about $70 billion. It comes out to about $910 million, or more than 10 times the rate that Fox News claimed on its little segment there. Right. The $70 so million. Even as they were reporting that food stamp fraud had hit an all-time high, they were actually reporting a very low number for food stamp fraud. Yeah, they didn't do any due diligence. They don't look into it all because they're not a reputable journalistic organization. Which is really frightening. Well, he, here's the deal. And listen, it's no, I don't, it shouldn't be a shock to anybody that there are a couple people over at Fox News that Brittany and I, we like. We, we, we have a fondness for Megyn Kelly. And I love the shit out of Shepard Smith. But those morning programs and most of the evening, evening programming with Bill O'Reilly and the pumpkin-headed Sean Hannity... These are terrible. These are all the opinion shows are fucking worthless. It's a travesty that a 31 second apology that doesn't really cover it. Ugh, no good. Right. You at least need to counter your incorrect report with an equally long segment explaining what went wrong, what the accurate information yes. is, making a full correction. Right. If you're concerned about your credibility, you'd do that. Right. Or the information that you've put out. But you know the damage is already done. Right. They know that. Well, they're, but they're making the damage even worse when they try to explain away, oh, because to me, the apology sounded like, Hey, we're sorry we gave you that really low number. That was wrong. It's actually like 10 times worse. Mm -hmm. And then they just leave it at that. Yeah. Ugh, disgusting. Zero integrity. And it's, you know, it's a bummer that a vast, a vast number of people get their news from News Corp, Fox News. All right. <laughs> Taking care of this. So. Look, I know everybody hates some of the new drops, the new bumpers. Yes. We got a request. Many people mm -hmm. have, they don't like the new taking care of biz. They don't like the asshole of today. Mm -hmm. uh, we've even, I've gone back to the old, the old disclaimer. We're going to use that. So fuck you guys. All right. I try to do something good for the show oh. and everybody hates it. It's been maybe 50 people mm -hmm. have reached out in, in some not so gently <laughs> have told me that they're not a fan. So, all right. Taking care of biz. Who's taking care of biz? I'll get rid of that. Somebody wants you to do it in a Harry Potter voice. Maybe we'll do that for one time. Yeah. And then we'll move on. So, taking care of biz, Anne Strike, a 42-year-old British wheelchair racer who has no use of her legs. She is an award-winning Paralympic athlete and a disabilities campaigner, and she says that she was, quote, completely robbed of her dignity after a train company failed to provide an accessible toilet on a three-hour journey. Yikes. Yeah. So, she was afraid to come public with this story because... It's humiliating. Yeah, it's very embarrassing, sure. And she really struggled with the decision. You feel powerless. Yeah, of should I come forward with this story where I had to wet myself on a train because there wasn't an accessible toilet. But then she decided this is important. People need to know that yeah. those with disabilities suffer because there are not the proper facilities. Or access to facilities, yeah. Right. And on a train, it's different because 
everything's cramped. It's super tiny. There, there are separate accommodations that need to be made sometimes above and beyond normally because it's a different setup. It's fucking, it's a train. Right. So she said, I was completely robbed of my dignity by the train company. I would like to ask the train company when they will give me my dignity back. As a disabled person, I have worked so hard over the years to build up my confidence and self-belief. Having access to a toilet, especially in a developed nation like the UK, is one of the most basic rights. I tried to conceal the smell of urine by spraying perfume over myself. When I finally got home after my nightmare journey, I scrubbed myself clean in the shower, then flung myself on my bed and sobbed for hours. After thinking about it for a while, I decided to go public, despite the personal humiliation of doing so, in the hope that it will bring about change for other people with disabilities who want to contribute to society but are prevented from doing so. Too many people with disabilities suffer in silence when this kind of thing happens because they feel too embarrassed to talk about it. The whole incident made me feel as if I can't play an active role in society and should just hide behind closed doors. Being forced to sit in my own urine destroyed my self-esteem and my confidence. People with disabilities don't want perfection. We just want the basics and to have our independence. But lack of access and inclusive facilities make us feel as if we are an afterthought. Look, being able-bodied, I can't even imagine what she went through. But I think that last sentence was very apropos of exactly what she went through. Is not feeling, it's an afterthought. You're not taken into consideration when the train is designed and it's, you know, we're going to build this for your average, what's the term? Uh, not normal, but... Able-bodied? No, uh, normative. You know, it's and that's probably more of a psychology term, but mm -hmm. it's not. It's able-bodied. You're you're typical, and they're atypical, and you know, there's millions and millions and millions of people who have disabilities that need to be taken care of too, and it's a bummer that something like this happened. Well, also, a member of the train crew apparently suggested that she could get off the train when it stopped at a station, use one of the toilets there, and then get on the train again. But the thing is, other people don't have to do that. Right. So there needs to be accommodation so that everyone who's riding the train can use the toilet on the train. Especially when it results in having a full-grown woman with a full-grown woman's bladder... So full of urine that she has to, she can't hold it anymore. Right. That's, let me tell you something. If I was to have a full bladder and I had to sit there and just evacuate my, my bladder and, and pee all over myself, it would be a nightmare for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's unbelievable. Well, hopefully the train company does something and she's taking care of biz because she came out. Right, and she's quoted as saying, I'll probably be remembered as that woman who wet herself on the train. I could have kept quiet, but I hope that by speaking out, other wheelchair users who use public transport won't be subjected to the same experience I had. And I don't believe that she will be remembered as the woman who wet herself on the train. I believe she will be remembered as the woman who stood up and said something and made this issue visible and helped many people realize how important it is for there to be equal access to facilities yeah i mean the chances of this happening again are greatly diminished by the fact that she came out right so that is awesome she's definitely taken care of biz all right we are going to wrap it up there this is episode 265 listen we are very rapidly approaching 300 we love you guys we appreciate your support 
If you want to support the show other than listening twice a week or as often as you do, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon, dollamore.com slash PayPal. Go shop on Amazon through the dollamore.com slash Amazon or just go buy a mug, dollamore.com slash shop. I got to have a consolidated link because that's a whole bunch to say every single time. If you are going to buy your mug, though, like I've been saying, you better get out there and do it because they are running out and it's going to take us several weeks to get new ones back in made. So we love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you. And until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this is Ben. I doubt it. It was a, a conscious choice <laughs> to swallow a fist-sized biscuit down my goddamn gullet. Wow, a fist size. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>